the last few weeks, we've been talking from a theme that I want to continue today, um, chosen for greatness. Amen. Everybody in here, you were chosen in him before the foundations of the earth. I don't want to be repetitive. I'd like to take what we've talked about a step further. I want to talk about uh, the purpose of the glory. Many of us confuse the glory with the anointing. So I'm going to preach some and I'm going to teach some. I'm going to tell you that the glory is not so that you can get healed. Excuse me. The glory is not so you can get healed. And the glory is not so that your family gets right. And the glory is not so that relationships get That's not what the glory is for. That's what the anointing is for. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, or for this reason, because he's anointed me to preach. The anointing is to preach the gospel to the poor. The anointing comes to bind up broken hearts. The anointing comes to, to heal blinded eyes. But the glory is not about that because in the glory there's no such thing as blinded eyes or broken hearts. We think that we create an atmosphere of glory through our worship, and when the glory comes, and, and I'm not suggesting that if, if you happen to come into an atmosphere of glory that you can't be healed, but that's a byproduct of glory, but, but, the, but the anointing is for that. The glory is a whole different thing, and the purpose for the manifestation of the glory of God has nothing whatsoever to do with healing your blinded eyes or healing your broken heart. Well, you looking at me real funny now. I didn't wear my glasses, and I could see that look. <laughs> I want to read through my notes for a minute. We're going to read some scripture, and then I want, to, I want to tell you what the purpose of unity. You're chosen for greatness. You were chosen in him before. <laughs> Excuse me. Got to look off today. The greatness that is within is a birthright. It's a seed within, and given time and nurturing, will blossom into something beautiful and life-changing, probably even world-changing. Last week, we talked about being chosen, justified, and glorified. Remember, chosen we know, justified is just as if I'd never sinned, and then glorified. We are chosen, and those whom he cho who chooses, he justifies, and those he justifies, he glorifies. It's a statement Paul made. It's a very interesting statement. <coughs> because what does it mean to be glorified? If I were to sit down in a classroom-style setting, which we're probably going to be doing relatively soon and ask you tell me what it means to be glorified I wouldn't say that to many of you because I wouldn't have put, want to put you on the spot because you'd probably look at me then like you're looking at me now and that's okay that's what I'm here for what does it mean to be glorified and what is the purpose of being glorified is glory the presence of God what is the purpose of glory I can tell you the purpose of the manifested glory of God is not for miracles and it's not for healing of the sick. That's what the anointing is for. Often in charismatic circles, the glory is mistaken for anointing and there is a difference and each has a very distinct function. Because you don't amen so much to teach it. I mean, in the fullness of the realm of heaven, we do not need an anointing to heal the sick. You don't, there, you don't need an anointing. Um, you, don't, you don't need anointing to heal a sick in the fullness of heaven where the glory of God resides, where his presence always is. There will be no healing of the sick. There will be no raising of the dead. Everything that brings you to fullness and wholeness will become past tense and you will just be. But that doesn't mean the glory dissipates. If the glory was for that purpose, then the moment we walk into fullness, his glory would cease to be. But his glory does not cease to be. 
But an anointing to heal sick and raise the dead will no longer be required when we walk into the fullness of this kingdom. That's the function of anointing. And it's not the same. And in charismatic circles, we equate the presence to the glory to the anointing. And we don't have a clue what it is. It just feels good. We get in here and do it and expect stuff to happen. And that's okay. I think God, by grace, allows things to happen in his glory because that's where the fullness of God is just to bless us. But if we can ever understand there's a distinct purpose and function behind the, behind the anointing of God, but it is, it is different. It's distinctly different from the glory of God. And what we've been called to is glory. We were called, we were justified, and if we're being glorified, we might want to know what that means. If the glory of God is not the anointing, what is it? What is its function and purpose? Glory is like the word beauty. I have to use a metaphor, and you'll, I'll try to explain why. I don't know if it's a good one. I don't know how, if, of course we know the Greek word for glory is, is doxa. And we know that the, Greek, or the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, and it means weightiness, heaviness, beauty. But how do you describe beauty? Beauty is subjective. If I wanted to describe to someone that did not know what a basketball was, now I know all of you in here are Carolina fans and know the only team that God pulls for is Carolina Blue. It's obvious by the anointing that has been behind that team, and they've got five more victories this year. I'm sorry for the Duke, we cast out Blue Devils, but it just ain't happening for them this year. Out of, out of Zion, Zion, Zion he, he is a tremendous athlete, but I ain't sure that he's anointed for this win. No, if I wanted to describe to someone who did not know what a basketball was, I could say, okay, it's, a, it's spherical. It's round. You, you, put, you inflate it, so you put air in it. Once it's, once it's full of air, most of the time they're orange. You can bounce it. You can throw it up. You can shoot it. And I can describe to you what a basketball is so much that without ever having seen one, the first time you see, oh, that's a basketball. But if I were to describe to you beauty, beauty is subjective. Glory is like that. When you see it, you just know. Ooh, it just takes your breath. I can't say the glory looks like this or it looks like that. Of course we know. We know that glory is God's weighty glory. We, uh, you know, his, weight, his beauty, his splendor. Webster would define it as his, 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 his glorious splendor or beauty or whatever. But, but all of that, splendor and beauty, that's subjective. There are more words in our vocabulary that we communicate with not because we say them, but because we see them. So what does glory look like? If we're to be glorified, if the glory is distinctly different than the anointing, not opposed to, but the function of which is different, then what is it? What does it mean to be glorified? What did Jesus mean when he said something about glory, being glorified? We're going to read because I'm going to read it to you right now. John chapter 17. It's probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. I've talked about it. I alluded to it very briefly last week when I knelt down and Jesus won the victory on our behalf there in that garden, in that place where he submitted his will to the will of the Father. It's interesting. Most people think that right there is where the Father and Son were divided. But Jesus said, glorify me with thine own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. He wasn't separated. Father was actually in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. Here Jesus would face the ultimate battle, the battle of will, which we all face. But his battle would be total surrender, 
of His will to the will of the Father, and its end result would be the ultimate reconciliation of all things. He subjected Himself to death in His heart and mind there in the garden before His body ever made it to a cross. I want to say that again. Jesus, because he's going to paint a picture of glory, he subjected his will to the death of the cross before his body ever made it to that old rugged cross. Thank God that he made it. And I'm glad that he took the stripes on his back. But the, our victory was won when he said, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And the moment he crucified his will, his body was always going to have to follow suit. Any victory that you win in your body will always start in your mind first. Any victory that you, that you fight, it'll start in your mind first. For instance, let's just say you're not in the perfect shape. You're out of shape. Your body is not just on its own going to start to work out and eat better. You're going to have to make up your mind. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of not being able to walk or jump or move or play. I'm going to do something about it. And once you make up your mind, your body will follow suit. The, if you're not in the best shape, I don't care what shape you're in. I love you. I love you if you're 100 pounds. I love you if you're 10,000. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think everybody needs to be the same size. It's just if your mind will follow what your, what your mind is set to, your body will follow. In the same way, in proper order, what your spirit is connected to, your mind should follow. That's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, your heart, your spirit, your soul, your mind, your strength. Because if you love the Lord with your mind, you don't have time to be having no stinking thinking. And your body will follow suit. The battle of the ages for all mankind was won in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place that's the olive press. The first man to ever fully surrender to the will of God the will of the Father, and give himself over to death would also be glorified, yes, even raised from the dead because of the glory he is praying for in this very moment. The prayer that Jesus prays in the garden is not only a prayer of total surrender, but the revelation is in total surrender you will receive total victory. Woo. The glory that would take him through the cross would be the exact same glory that would raise that cold, dead body from the grave. It was won in this garden. It was announced in this garden. It was pronounced in the garden. And the glory that would cause him to surrender his will, that would take him to a whipping post and take him to a cross, would breathe on that lifeless, bloodless body and bring him back as the firstborn from among the dead. God have mercy, and the firstborn among many brethren. And if he's the firstborn among many brethren, that means there are many brethren. He was and is the pattern son, the son that will show us the way to the Father. Ooh, sorry, it's 10 to 12. The first man to ever surrender would be raised from the dead because of the glory he's praying for this moment. The glory that I had before the world was, before the world, before sin, before the curse, before separation, a glory that was more powerful than death itself. Let's read John 17. John 17, I'm reading from the New American Standard. I, I like the King James, but sometimes the King James is hard for some people to understand. It's a wonderful translation. I suggest you read it. New American Standard is sometimes easier to understand. They don't take things out of context. Jesus spoke these things. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Good God Almighty. 
My dad, my dad was a trip. My dad, he was funny, but he was blunt. He said, if you get bored from Scripture, you, you, need, you just, you, you're, you're wood's wet. <laughs> and then he'd blow his nose and get going. He's a trip if you didn't know it. Something else, tell you what. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, and here's the reason, that your son may glorify you. Yeah. Even as you have given him, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He's praying. Before there was sin, before there was curse, before there was separation, glorify me with that glory, and I want you to do it now, in the here and now, in this dimension, in this realm. Give me that same glory. I have manifested your name, which means your nature. He's the only one that could ever manifest his nature. The prophets could describe a part of him. The, 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 the law could describe a part of him. But the only perfect lens through which we could ever see the Father is the life of Jesus Christ, period. He came, if, if the Father could have been clearly seen before Jesus, Jesus would not have come. I have manifested, I have put on display, I have shown the world your nature, your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you, have, which you gave me, I've given to them. My God, I just like Jesus is a sharer and he ain't an Indian giver. My kids are. My kids are Indian givers. Let me get, let me get one of them, let me get one of them uh, zebra cakes. And they have no problem. Oh, here you go. Jason's the worst at it. And he'll give it to me until he realizes there was none left. Like, hey, uh, Daddy, let me, let me get one of them back. Jesus does not give and take back. What he gives you becomes yours. What the Father gave Jesus, Jesus decided to share with us. It's a simple point, but it needs to be made. And they have received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. Now Jesus is kneeling in the gritty gravel of the garden, as Mark used to say. And yet, he says, I'm no longer in the world. That's why we can sing something like and say heaven is all around you. And people are like, well, I thought heaven. No, if Jesus, Jesus said also one time, he said, no man has ever ascended up into heaven <coughs> except the Son of Man who came from, down from heaven and is in heaven. Standing there in the flesh in front of them, he said these words. <laughs> I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, your nature, the nature which you have given me, that they may be even one as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, 
which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. <clears throat> I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world, or have sent. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on these, on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, through my disciples' word that they may also be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Listen, here we go. Say, here's the purpose for glory. Thank you. Thank you, all three. Say, here's the purpose for glory. God, we're in the south. You can still do this. 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Boom, there it is in a nutshell. The revelation of the purpose for being glorified is unity. It's oneness. It's not necessarily uniformity, but it is unity. Is it any wonder that the biggest obstacle every church faces is division? Difference of opinion or not hearing an opinion becomes offense. Offense sets up, it, it festers, it gets worse and worse. But before long, there's, there's pus and nastiness oozing out. And before long, you got 15 that go this way, 12 that go that way, 5 that go this way to start their own thing. And the glory of God was always about bringing unity, but because we couldn't see that it was about him and not about me, Did you know, I want you to listen to me. The devil does not fight your anointing to keep someone sick. If you use an anointing for someone to be sick, you're anointed for that reason, they have no choice but to surrender to that anointing. It happens. They're gone, period. But they will fight to the depths of hell to keep a church divided, to keep a family divided. Well, they got real quiet in here. You thought I was going to slap you with oil and you're going to be able to go out and raise elephants from the dead. These are Jesus' words. I don't know. I don't know what the elephant thing was. I don't know either. I and them, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. When were you chosen? The same time he was, before the foundation of the world. That's also when you were justified because the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Yes. Did you know that? You were also glorified. The issue is our body does not receive that glory because we're in such division, first of all, with the word of God and second of all, with each other. Think about this. Remember when Jesus said, if you come to the altar to bring, bring a gift of worship, and you remember while you're bringing a gift of worship to the, at the altar that you have an alt, is the way the King James says, you have an offense or with your brother, or your brother has one with you, leave the gift there. What? He, what he basically says, let's not bother with worship right now. Fix the problem with you and your brother. 
I don't care if you can cry and dance and sing like a canary. I don't care. I don't care if you can throw up your hands and there's snot all the way down your shirt and crying and you, and you just thought you worshiped yourself out of your shoes. There were runs in pantyhose and some of them run them out of their pantyhose. The Lord doesn't care about any of that stuff. He literally says, leave that there, be done with it. First, I care about unity. Because the glory of God is manifested where there's unity. And in the glory of God, you don't have to worry about healing sick because there is no sickness there. In the glory of God, there is no disease. In the glory of God, there is no cancer. In the glory of God, there is no death. In the glory of God, there is nothing from the earth realm that, from, or from the, the realm of the curse. Is it any wonder that there's such division? Most of what we believe about each other is probably not even true, especially when it comes to offense. Here's what the enemy says. Did you see the way she looked at you? My God, she cut those eyes at you. Well, I know I won't ever sit next to her again, little hussy, going to look at me like that. Not even ever have gone up to her and asked a question or a word, and the next week you see her, we always begin to judge based on the filter that we put on them ourselves. She must have meant this by the way I assumed she looked at me or he, the way he looked at me or the way that he did this. Or he, did, he didn't, you know, there was an old song years ago uh, that we used to sing. It was a song called Excuses. It's a dumb song, but one of the favorite lines was there was a little person that made excuses while they didn't, weren't a part of a body, part of a family. And, and at the end it says, the pastor didn't even shake my hand. I try to shake your hands, but most of the time, by the time I get here, i got 15 people meeting me, and they got about 20 minutes worth of stuff to say, and they try to condense it into two. If I haven't shaken your hand, it ain't because I don't want to. It's because I'm doing stuff up here. I don't think there's anybody in here like that. And yet, who knows? Offense, you're telling me the key to receiving and walking in the glory is to do away with the spirit of offense and to walk in unity? That's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I don't care what the worship sounds like. I don't care how, how anointed you felt. Because the anointing will work outside the realm of glory. The anointing will work outside of the realm of glory. God. Oh, it's already late. Whatever that means. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Jesus says this, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, that I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made known your name or your nature to them, and I will make it known so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus makes it clear in his own words that the purpose of glory was for unity. There is nothing more powerful in the world than a unified family of believers. One focus, singular purpose, singular vision. There's nothing in the world more powerful than that. Think about this. Remember the, remember the, um, the children of Babel that were building their tower of, you know, to heavens? And the Lord looked at what they were doing and says, they have one language, they're in unity, they think alike, and because of that, nothing will be withheld from them or impossible to them. And they weren't even in the new covenant, and, and they were, well, in the, in the south, they were heathens. Some people say heathen, but if, if, if you don't put that R before the N, you're not really a southerner. Heathen. How many of you ever heard that? Yo, heathen. Elizabeth's got a bad habit now, and the kids don't behave. She'd, stop acting like heathens. Like, stop, stop calling them that. That's like saying, stop acting like Gentiles. You know? <laughs> 
What? Stop calling the kids heathen. You heathen. <laughs> I totally lost my place just now. <laughs> There's nothing more powerful than a unified family of believers. And the mistake is, and the lie is, that you have the right to hold on to your offense. What you're assuming by holding on to your fence is you're the one that's right. The other person obviously is the one that's wrong. And until they make it right, pfft, I didn't do anything to her, so I'm just going to live my... No, you have a problem too. The offender and the offendee both need to come together and make it right. God puts a premium on unity above worship and gifts of worship. That's insane. God doesn't even care about your worship. He, he's not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. The Spirit... The Father seeks those to worship Him in spirit and truth. He's looking for worshipers. He's not needy. If you don't worship Him, you're like, oh crap, this is a bad day. Nobody worshiped me. No, He's looking for worshipers. Because in, wor in, in, in the communion between worshipers and Father is intimacy. And when there's intimacy, there's offspring. And the offspring is a heavenly offspring birthed into the earth to make the earth look like heaven. So, when, so when, 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 when Jesus, when the Father, when Jesus wants to make uh, his bride pregnant, the only way to do that is for the bride to fully surrender. But he does not do that individually. He does that corporately. When the church was birthed, it wasn't one person. There were 120. And the Bible says, and, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and it sat on each of them. But why? Because they were in one mind and with one accord, in one accord, they say. The worst joke in the history of preaching is, I didn't know they had Hondas back then. So they were all in one accord. It's so dumb. But I had to bring it up. This is, this is called comic reprieve. I, says the guy who fell over the chair, fell into the floor to come up and shake my hand. <laughs> what a character. God puts a premium on unity above what we do here that we call corporate worship. The truth of it is, you cannot worship God if you have an alt or an offense with your brother. Well, I know I did. I know you didn't. No, you didn't. You might have had a heebie-jeebie, a goose pimple, and an emotional experience, but it is not true worship. You cannot worship the Father in spirit and in truth if in your heart is an offense against one of your brothers or sisters. Period. Why am I telling you this? Because I believe in you. I believe in say You want to be chosen for greatness? That's wonderful. When I preach chosen for greatness for two weeks, everybody shouts until they don't have much voice left because they receive that individually. But when I tell you chosen for greatness is we were chosen for greatness, all of us, because all of us is better than any one of us. Not suggesting you individually not chosen for greatness, but the ultimate plan of God is not for you singularly to be a great person, but it's to have a great family that represents his kingdom well. Look, there's nobody that meets me that will ever meet me again that, becomes, that comes to know me that can separate me from my identity as her husband and, my six, and the father of my six children. That now has become who I am. I'm not Josh the single crazy, you know, nutcase that I might have been when I was single and crazy. Now I am married and father nutcase. 
And anybody that meets me, a part of my personality, a part of my identity is who I am in relationship to them. In the same way, chosen for greatness is wonderful, but it's not for you to be puffed up like, well, I'm all this. It's, wait a minute, we as a body in unity were chosen for greatness. And if we as a body in unity can get a, do away with spirit of offense, do away with... You should go back and listen to last week's message. I'm going to pipe in some amens from last week's message on the tape for this week's message. Called, chosen before, justified, glorified. And the purpose of the manifested glory of God is not healing, it's unity. Amen. Amen. Father, that they may become one, even as we are one. Perfect, per perfect communion, zero separation, no offense. No thought of offense. No skepticism. Most of the time, skepticism is born of a, of, a, of a place of insecurity. We're insecure, so we're skeptical of anybody that could possibly want to have something to do with us because what's behind why, why they want to have something to do with us. What is their ulterior motive? If you approach people that way with ulterior motive, you can absolutely put across your chest the word insecure because that's what you are. This is not a condemnation. This is a reality check. And if that's where you are, God can free you from that. He loves you like you are where you are. But as my dad used to say, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. That's why sometimes we get the words like the last two weeks. And then sometimes we get the word like this. It says, oh, you mean in glory I have to be called into accountability? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or crap, I got to be accountable? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody actually had that exact thought. <laughs> Sorry, I should have brought the PG version, but I know you wasn't thinking PG when you came in the doors. I hear, I hear some of the stuff you bumping in the parking lot. That is not PG. <laughs> Unity. Not uniformity. You're not exactly like everybody else. But it's, there's a different, but Unity. Choosing to agree, even though you may have disagreements. Choosing the relationship above the idealism. I choose to love you as you are, where you are, because the relationship means more to me than who's right or wrong. Most of us value and put a premium on being right above relationship. That is sick, and it's not the kingdom. The kingdom says... You may be wrong and I might be wrong. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is what does it take for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity? The, remember the scripture that says, Oh, how precious, how beautiful and precious it is for brethren, brothers and sisters, to dwell together in unity. What's the next part? It is like the oil that was poured upon the head of Aaron. Don't miss this. And it ran down his beard and his garments even to the skirts. It's, it's a picture of Jesus the Christ being anointed with our unity. He is the high priest of our profession. He is the high priest, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the way that we anoint him king and the way that we truly worship him is to say, I choose to walk with you in unity above my or your being right. I choose relationship above idealism. And when we do that, it is equal to bringing an alabaster box and anointing the head and feet of Jesus. That is true worship. 
And you might not feel a goose pimple, and nobody might be holding a guitar. But if you can say, for the sake of relationship, I'll take the wrong, even though I don't think I'm wrong, because I care more about communion and community than I do about me being right all the time. And when you do that, and you might do it in the, in the shed across the street, you might do it at work, and you might do it at school, it is equal to taking an alabaster box, breaking it open, and saying, Jesus, because I care more about relationship, I pour this oil on your head. And he receives that as worship. When that happens, then glory is manifested. And in glory, you don't have to worry about anointing anymore because in glory, there is no sickness. You can walk in glory and cancers fall off before anybody uses anointing to, to heal the sick. Amen. Unity. 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 I know for a fact there are multiple ones. And I don't care what the offense was. Because I just feel like a couple of you thought, well, if you really knew how bad they hurt me, if you knew how, well, what do you care more about, healing or holding on to the hurt? It amazes me how much we protect our hurt. If you knew how much that person hurt me, you would think differently. No, I wouldn't. What I would say is you staying in that, in that pain and holding on to that hurt, as, as the meme says, and they get on Facebook now, it's like drinking poison, expecting someone else to die. Let it go. Let it go. Where's Elsa? Right? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Rachel would be ashamed. Abby, can you sing? Let it go. But he, she hurt me deeply. She wounded me deeply. We've all been wounded in the house of our friends. If you hold on to that, that's what you're going to have. If you ever let go of it, God will take it and put something in there more valuable. You know, the people that hurt you the most are normally those that you're closest to. Which says to me, you have a choice to make between holding on to the hurt that hurts the hurt or the one you're closest to. I choose relationship above my offense. I cannot tell you how many, it happened yesterday. I won't even mention one of what it happens all the time. And I'm not, I'm certainly not above making mistakes. I make my fair share and, and, and plenty for everybody else. I've made plenty of them. I cannot tell you how many times I have kept my tongue and not said things that I knew for a fact to this moment I was right and I would be in the right to say it because it would cost me a relationship. I've also been on the other end of that where I needed to say something so bad that it, it was devastating to relationships before because I couldn't hold my tongue and get outside of my emotion for five minutes, take a deep breath and say, wait a minute, the relationship is more valuable than this. This is my son or my daughter or my mother or my wife or my cousin or whatever the case, my church, my church family, my worship family, whatever the case may be. <coughs> I'm almost finished. I'm sorry I kept you this long. Except I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Don't tell me how bad it was. I can sing it really good. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, unity. Well, they offended me. Well, you need to get over it. As they used to say, you've been offended, build a bridge and get over it. Seriously, some, some of the hardest and most rewarding things are to approach someone that you've not talked to or you've had this inside thing for so long 
to approach them and say, look, I need to talk to you about something. And not say, you did this to me, you did that to me, and I'm going to sit here and wait for you to apologize to me. Because if you're doing that, you still have a haughty spirit and you ain't ready for nothing. And you, you're going to live in denial and you're going to live in your own self-righteousness and you're going to die in it. But say, look, come let us now reason. Let us commune together. Abigail, you offended me. No, you haven't. No, God, no. You could slap me and be like, God, she's so cute. <laughs> That's what daughters do to daddies. She never would, but Rachel has this thing now she comes up and she wants to kiss me. She said, Daddy, I need a real kiss. And I reach down and grab her face and kiss around the lips. She goes, got him. <laughs> I love it. I think it's awesome. I, I call her Elizabeth Jr. She always trying to pull a prank on somebody. I did that to her first. And now, so she's like, Daddy. So if I ever get her first, she'll wait about five. Daddy, I need a real one. Daddy, I'm serious. Give me a real kiss. You love me, don't you? So I'll kiss her every time. Not offended at her because that's my daughter. The Lord's not offended at you. But you get offended at each other, and you can forget about sakes for being synonymous with the glory. You keep that offense inside, you can forget. He'll do it. It's going to happen, whether it's your generation or the next. But if you want to hold on to your offense more than you want to let go and walk in unity, well, here's what's going to happen. You need to watch this. Mark my words. This is a prophetic word. I'm going to sit down and keep my legs crossed so you don't think I'm trying to be religious prophetic. But if you've ever heard a prophetic word, you're going to hear one now. You're going to begin to see people removed from the equation that will refuse to choose relationship above offense. It's already happened a lot, actually. If you look around, you can see it. And what's going to happen is when the unity begins to flow, that river begins to flow, it's going to attract others of like mind that say, man, I know what they're about. They're about relationship. I, he ain't here because he had to go to the funeral. That's why G and his family are here. He texted me the first day, and I don't mind, he wouldn't mind me sharing this. He put it on Facebook. I mean, he said, man, that's the first time I went to a church and wasn't bored. <laughs> if I were to ask G everything he's ever done in his life, I, you, some of you might be surprised and say, well, that doesn't sound like a church member, and that's why I love him. He loves this place, and God's going to begin to bring more like that because they, they realize, wait a minute, the Father loves me, and this family loves me, and I can be who I am, and God's going to let me come like I am and worship like I am, and, and I can be loved for who I am, and not, not to suggest I can necessarily stay where I am. The Spirit will shine a light on the things I need to change in my life, but He's not going to sit there wagging His finger and judging every little thing I do and keeping a score. There's not a, there's not a heavenly chalkboard. Jesus did away with the chalkboard when he said, when, he was rec when the Father was in him reconciling the world to himself. He did away with the chalkboard. For there is no cosmic scoreboard. You're good, and you're holy, and you're righteous, and you are worthy. You're worthy of the love that he's given, and you're worthy of love by your brothers and sisters. And because you're worthy, and because you freely receive that love, you should freely give it. And just like Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our debtors, as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you ain't willing to forgive everybody that, that, that has done something against you, you're hypocritical to think that everybody ought to forgive you for anything. Boy, this is, this is, this is real. It's tight, but it's right. This word today is probably the most potent, powerful word that's been preached here in the last two or three weeks, even though there's half the amens. Who needs to make something right? Go do it. Don't wait. Don't put it on your calendar and say, well, I'll get to it. 
Because what you're going to do is procrastinate, and you procrastinate long enough, you'll make an excuse for why it shouldn't happen. Do it now. Leave this building and go do it. Okay, I'm making this right. This happened, and I'm not, I'm, and it's, you're not okaying what they did. You're saying, I value the relationship above the offense. And because I value the relationship above the offense, I forgive the offense. And that's hard for us to do. Rich tells me I look at that sentence all the time. <laughs> I just thought of it. He's noticed it today. That's why he laughs so hard. I value the relationship above the offense. I put a premium on relationship above offense. God puts a premium on relationship above your individual worship. So who's offended you? Who have you offended? And how are you going to make it right? Without ulterior motive. Well, Josh had to do it, so I need to go do it so I can receive from the Lord. And that's not what I'm saying. You're going to have to have a heart to do it. But if you make up your mind, you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I, I refuse to allow something to divide me from my brother and my sister. I mean, look, it's not new. Peter and Paul, they went at it. Paul looked at him, he called him one day and said, he's a reed shaking in the wind. Peter, Peter, that Jesus said upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, that same Peter, Paul said, he's a reed shaking in the wind. I know more than all of them. I've done more than all of them. So it's not new. It's not like the, the super holy, saturated, anointed ones haven't done this too. There's nothing, there's nothing in the world more powerful than a unified body. Let's stand. Let's stand. The glory is for unity. And the glory comes where there's unity. The Spirit always comes where there's unity. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that we were chosen in him before the foundations of the earth. I thank you that we're chosen, we're justified, and glorified. And the purpose of us being glorified is so that we can die to our own will, die, die to our own offense, so that if, we, if we'll be willing to participate with you in your sufferings, then we can also be partakers of your resurrection. None of us want to fellowship in suffering. None of us want to say, let your will be done, not my will be done. None of us want to sacrifice our will on the altar of your will. But we know that if and when we do that, when we put down our will, when we sacrifice and nail to the cross forever our spirit of offense that we carry like a, like a badge of honor, when we crucify that spirit of offense to the cross, we know assuredly that the same glory that raised Jesus from the dead will be manifested in our bodies individually, corporately, in our families, in our church and in our cities. I pray for that to be the case in this generation. And Lord, that we can, we can break the curse of this, of this offense, of this backbiting, of this bitterness, of this opposing sides, Father. I curse that thing in the name of Jesus. And I say, let unity come. Let unity come. If Statesville will be synonymous with the glory, it's going to have to be synonymous with unity. And I declare it to be so. Father, help us to swallow our pride, not even to swallow it, to, to regurgitate it, spit it out, and never eat it again. Help us, Father, to crucify our own uh, individual badge of honor, our own individual offenses, that we walk around like it's a big deal. Help us to crucify it today. We know that when we set our mind to that, our heart to that, our bodies will follow. Create the opportunities for us to come in contact with those that, that we need to make things right with. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Uh, when I was praying, your daddy came to my mind just then. I've known him for 
30, 25, 30 years. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, I speak to the body of my friend Joey Hall right now that cancer, you will not have the last word over his body, but that the glory of the resurrected Christ will have the last word over that body in Jesus' name. That the Holy Spirit would surround him even now. I see him going around his body like a circle, like a flaming circle, and begin to eat up every cell of cancer that's in his body and restore him and bring him back. And Rich, I declare the same thing over your body. As a matter of fact, over anybody in this place dealing with that ugly word cancer, I declare it dead in in the name of Jesus and by the spirit of the risen Christ you are being made whole let the virtue of the same Jesus that was raised from the dead go into quicken every cell of their body from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet until they literally feel cancer itself is dying and the spirit of God is making me resurrected in the name of Jesus let them wear healing like a crown of glory let them let them let them wear restoration like a crown of honor in Jesus' name.